You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to John chapter number 14. John the 14th chapter. What a blessing. You no doubt are familiar with John 14. If you've ever been to a funeral, if you've ever been to a memorial service, any place uh, where death was being dealt with. But may I say to you that John 14 is very little about death and a whole lot about life, a whole lot about the life of the individual believer, the life of the church. Now let me just um, go ahead and set some, some groundwork for the message this morning. There are two groups of people in here. There are those that are perfectly satisfied with the status quo, maybe even rather things go back the way they used to be. And those that every morning wake up with a dream and a vision of what God could do with that particular day. What God could do with you, what God could do with us. Two words this morning, our message, greater things. I preached this message in a revival this week and I've been preaching it a a few times in some different revivals. And God just laid so heavy upon my heart a sense of excitement and enthusiasm uh, for you and, and for those not only here at Dublin but also at the Lake Church. And may I say to you, if there's ever a message that the enemy does not want you to hear, it's this message. If if there's ever a message that the enemy does not want the church to to embrace and get a hold of, it's this message. Because we we understand that 80 to 90 percent of churches across America are are plateaued or declining. In other words, they flatline. I don't know about you, but if I walk into a hospital room, somebody's hooked up to a machine, and there's a flatline, I get worried. I realize that something is not right. That something's got to be done that unless a miracle happens, unless there is a, 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 a Holy Spirit charge to come in, that church's not going to survive very long. Now, I'm thankful to know that God's blessing us, and I'm thankful that we're a strong church, that we're a, a fairly healthy church, always room for improvement. So, so why this morning the message on greater things? Because here's the deal. It doesn't matter how, how good you might think things are, there's always room for, for much improvement. And it doesn't begin in the the pulpit or in the pew, but it begins at home and it begins individually in our lives. So I want to encourage you this morning to be excited about the greater things that God has for you. Now let me go ahead and and just set the stage for for John 14. It's an action-packed chapter, no doubt. Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet, taking on that form of of a very, very lowly servant. And he has has just explained to them how his death was imminent, that he would be crucified, that he would give up his life, and then on the third day rise from the grave. And and at this point, the disciples are just overwhelmed with anxiety and shock and and, and just disbelief. You know the, the first part of John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Jesus said that because those guys had a very troubled heart. He said, believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going, you know, prepare a place for you and come again. We know that passage. But may I say to you, John 14 is not so much about a mansion as it is about our mission. It is about our our ministry. There's nothing wrong with getting excited about the fact that one day we're going to glory and we're going to have a mansion and all of those kind of things. That's worthy of our excitement. 
But I'm grateful to know that all of this text culminates in verse number 12 where Jesus says this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, when you come to those two words, verily, verily, it means in the scriptures, truly, truly, and it is emphatic. In other words, it's wanting to get your attention. If, if, you're, if you're a child or a teenager this morning, you know that when your parents want to get your attention, they typically call you by your first name and your middle name or, or something like that. They really want to make sure that you get the point. Right? So Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I'm going unto my Father. John 14 is segmented into three different sections. The first part is the promise of heaven. The, the, The final part is the promise of the Holy Spirit. But tucked in between is the promise of greater things. Beloved, this morning I want to ask you to think and to vision and to dream with me just for a few moments on this subject, greater things. Father in heaven, I thank you for the miracles accomplished by Jesus in his short period of time on earth that established great things that we can reflect upon. God, I thank you for a history here at Dublin First Baptist that we today can reflect upon with much excitement and enthusiasm, with great appreciation for all of the wonderful and the great things you've done in the past. But God, I pray that we would never be complacent nor satisfied, but even today, on the second day of April 2017, you might aspire and inspire. And God, that you might give us a vision and give us a dream, and may we be bold in that, Lord, that we would desire greater things than ever before as a church and as individual believers. God, I pray if there's someone here today that has never been born again, they've never been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, that they would understand that the greatest thing that could ever happen in their life is a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. God, may we never get ahead of ourselves to accomplish greater things until the greatest thing has been accomplished in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember the audience that is sitting here at the upper room table? These are the disciples, those that have been nearest to Jesus, the witnesses of the miracles. Think about that. And Jesus says, guys, you've been with me and you've watched me through all of the great things that we've done. I imagine as he's talking, their minds are reflecting and they're they're thinking back to the stories they've heard of their master as just a young child. Showing up at the temple and amazing the temple leaders. I imagine they thought back to those early miracles when thousands were seated on a hillside and one by one they were fed until there were 12 basketfuls left over. I imagine they thought about the times when blinded eyes were open, when when mute lips began to speak and deaf ears began to hear. I imagine they thought about the moment when Peter, his mother-in-law, was healed. The demoniacs set free, the Samaritan woman giving living water, the storms calmed and them walking on the water together. I imagine they thought about that little guy Zacchaeus who climbed up a sinner, climbed down a saint. I imagine they thought about all of the miracles like the woman with the issue of blood who instantly at the touch of the hem of his garment was healed. I imagine they thought about that that amazing experience in Jairus' house when the little girl who was dead was brought back to life. And I remember, uh, I'm sure they, they, they were thinking, I remember the moment that Jesus wept because his friend Lazarus was dead, yet he had power over death and raised him to walk in newness of life once again. 
I imagine they were thinking about how just a few days passed. Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem on the back of a borrowed donkey to the cries, Hosanna! And they're thinking, all of this we've seen. And he says, we're going to do this and even more. He says, we're going to do greater things. And beloved, when Jesus used those words, greater things, he wasn't just talking to the disciples around the table, but he was talking to you and me as well, those who would be the benefactors of the Holy Spirit, the benefactors of that gift of the Holy Spirit. Spirit, those who are born again Christians. I am grateful to know, beloved, as we look back at a rich history of our church. Now, uh, some 65, 67 years in the making, we look back and we see many wonderful things that God has done, many wonderful things that He's accomplished, many wonderful people that have been born again, and ministries that have been birthed, and so on and so forth. And if we're not careful, we'll get so intent and content about looking back that we forget that the greatest days, based on the authority of the Word of God, are still ahead for those who know and who claim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, thank you. One out of 120, ain't bad. Um, let me give it to you real quick. And by the way, I preach a lot better when y'all amen a lot. I found that out this week. By the way, I got to tell you something. I know there are probably some that are thinking, man, preacher, you're doing a lot of revivals. And, and I'm grateful for that. I don't know how to say no. That's not always a bad thing. But anyway, uh, this morning, a young man walked into the lake church. And I thought, I know him from somewhere. And uh, he said, I was there Tuesday night. Don't you remember? And I, and I looked at him again. I thought, yes. And he accepted Christ on Tuesday night of revival. And was at church this morning. I think that's awesome. But anyway, praise be to God. Listen, I wonder, one of the great things that God's going to do in the days ahead What's our vision? What's our dream? What are we looking forward to? And I'm talking beyond buildings. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. At the end of the service, we're going to have an intentional time of prayer that God would just show us clearly what he's got. But I'm talking about more than brick and mortar. I'm talking about souls and lives and marriages and teenagers and jobs and all the kind of things that people are struggling with now saying, listen, there are some great days and some great things ahead for each of us. Let me give you three things very quickly uh, as we move through this text. Number one, I want us to look at the promise of greater things. May I say to you that Jesus Christ never makes a promise that he's not fully willing and committed to keep. He is yet to break a promise, so when we come to a promise in Scripture, we can say, it's as good as done. I can make you a promise this morning and do my very best to keep it, but I may let you down. Your brother, your sister, your mama, your daddy, your little boy, your little girl, they make you promises, and they may let you down, and they may fail to keep that promise. But when the King of kings and Lord of Lords, co-creator of all the universe, makes you and me a promise, friend. It is as good as done. And he doesn't speculate about greater things. He doesn't pretend about greater things, but he guarantees greater things through his promise. Guaranteed and backed up by three things. Number one, his omniscience. He knows. Friend, I don't know what the future holds, but praise God, I know who holds the future. As Jesus looked through the quarters of time, he realized that in just a few hours, he would be crucified. He realized that in three days, he would be resurrected. He realized in 40 days later that he would be ascended into heaven. And 10 days after that, the Holy Spirit of God would come and light upon that place and thousands would be saved. And he realized for over 2,000 years that greater things would be accomplished. His omniscience guarantees greater greater things. Number two, does that make sense? Say amen. amen. He can look, it's done, all right? Number two, 
Number two, not only his omniscience that he knows, but also his omnipotence. That is, he is all-powerful. He is mighty enough to bring about greater things. Sometimes we look at our limitations. Sometimes we look at our obstacles and we say, I'm just not sure God can do great things through my life or through my church. Listen, the Bible doesn't say that we can do all things. It says that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. In other words, the great things that lie ahead of us are guaranteed and backed up by by his omnipotence, by his power. Recently, I was asked to participate in a story on the biblical recorder on helping small churches and small town places achieve greater things. I am so amazed as I go from place to place and I preach in churches and most of them are very small and I go in and I preach and you can just sense the spirit of discouragement and and almost depression because they say, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. We're in a small community. We're in a small place. We can't do big things. Listen, friend, God doesn't and do big things through big people. Most times he does it through little people. I for one am grateful for that and through little places. Look all throughout the scripture. It was in the remote, uh, out, uh, out of the way places that God did the greatest things. He even chose Bethlehem to birth his son and Nazareth to raise his son. So think about that. Think about God's omnipotence, his power and his strength. I'm thankful to know for our young people today, it's not just about what they can accomplish, but what they can accomplish through the power of God that is with them. His omnipotence. Number three, his omnipresence. I like this part. It doesn't just say throughout the New Testament, go, go, go. Many times we see the Great Commission seven or eight times specifically in the Scripture where we're told, go and preach and teach and baptize. But in every every time that we're commanded to go, it is concluded with the promise that is this, and lo, I am going with you. Have you ever had a challenge before you? You thought, my goodness, I'm not looking forward to this challenge. My goodness, I'm not looking forward to dealing with this or trying to do this. And then somebody says, hey, I'll go with you. And you realize, wow, I can handle this now because I'm not alone. Friend, as we look ahead, maybe maybe we're here today and maybe it's a marriage situation or a situation with our children or our grandchildren or our job or, or, or our school or whatever it might be. And we're saying, there's so much before me that I don't know how I'm going to handle it. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. I certainly don't know how I'm going to actually accomplish greater things. Listen, friend, you are not alone. He's going to go with you. He's going to accompany you every step of the way. Church, I'm grateful to know this church does not rise and fall upon the pastor and leadership. It does not rise and fall upon the state of the economy or, or, or the state of our culture or society. But the Bible says upon this rock, talking about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, I will build my church then the very gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now think about this. I believe we have been faced with the very gates of hell of late. I, I believe in my generation and in my ministry, I have had the, uh, the, the, the maybe the displeasure of seeing something take place that the Bible said would happen. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and chapter 4, Paul said, Timothy, preach the word. Be instant, in season, and out of season. I believe in my generation, I've seen that transition. When I began preaching the gospel, it was accepted. Most people appreciated it. Most people had some sense of the fear of God and all the things of God. But through my years of preaching, I've seen that that not not only uh, fall away, but actually come to the point that preaching is no longer in season, but it is out of season. And the Bible commands us to be consistent and constant both in season and out of season. So church, we might be tempted to look at the news and say, you know, the church age is past. The day of church growth is past. The day of strong church 
churches is past. The day of revivals is past. Well, listen, the Bible doesn't say anything about there being an expiration date on the promise of greater things. In fact, it is a perpetual promise. So long as the Holy Spirit of God is with us, greater things can be accomplished through us. Why? Because we are not alone. That's the promise of greater things. Number two, the people of greater things. Man, it sure is quiet in here, isn't it? I tell you, I'd about soon somebody start snoring and make a little bit of noise. The people of greater things, very quickly, think about the congregants that were there at that moment. When Jesus came to this earth, one would think he would have been born of royalty. He would have been born in a royal place. He would have been brought up in a royal place among other royal people. But he wasn't. He was born and laid in a feeding trough. What an amazing uh, picture of humility. But all throughout Jesus' ministry, he associated with the outcast. He, he, he called those who no one thought anything of. Now, maybe you're here today and you're saying, Preacher, I like this whole idea of greater things. But I just don't think you know who you're talking to. I don't think you know, you know what, what, our, what my situation is and what our situation is as a church. I travel a lot and I'm, I, I like to drive through towns and just kind of observe. And I drive through towns smaller than ours and much larger than ours. And I see church after church after church. And it looks as though the building is ne- nearly about to the point of being condemned. And, and the church sign looks like it hasn't been changed in years. And, and you look and you just wonder what's going on. I submit to you. I believe there's a lot of confidence and just this idea that that God can't use us anymore. But I want you to think about the people of greater things. God all throughout the Bible uses unlikely people. Moses said, but God, I can't talk real good. God said, you'll be just fine. You'll be perfect. You're just what I'm looking for. Can I tell you something? And I'm not just the way it is. When I was called to preach, I stuttered worse than anybody you've probably ever met. And I still get to it every once in a while if I try to use the letter P at the beginning of a word. So I very, very seldom use the word P at the beginning of a word. But anyway, listen, you might be sitting there and you're saying, you know what? I've got all these things and all these issues and I've got a past and I've got a problem and I got through two P words anyway and I'm but God loves to use people with the past and he loves to use people with a problem he loves to use the most unusable unlikely people why because at the end of the day it brings all the glory back to him figured y'all get that part three groups of people I find are in the upper room number one are the, are the dysfunctionals the dysfunctionals think about it tax collectors Everybody hated them. Fishermen. Fishermen of that day and this day are not that much different. If you ever watch the TV programs and they're out to sea and they really don't have any life with anybody else and a pretty rough group of people, I mean, you know. Jesus said, hey, fishermen, you'll do, come on. All of these people. And may I say to you, we could very easily consider ourselves dysfunctionals. There are very few times that you see uh, churches in in rural settings that are willing to do big things and willing to take chances and step out in in faith and and all of the things. And and I'm thankful for what the fact that God doesn't just choose to use the people that are likely. But almost without exception, he chooses to use the unlikely. If you're here today and you say, well, preacher, I've got this problem. Read a little bit about Paul and his problem. The preacher, I've I've got this past. Paul could probably tell you a little bit about that. There's nothing that keeps us from being used of God except an unwilling heart. 
the dysfunctionals. The second group of people that are around this table are doubters. Now, now, don't miss this part. Jesus would say to them on numerous occasions, you have little faith, oh ye of little faith, oh ye of little faith. And beloved, I want to tell you, I can get there. I'm going to camp out on this part just a little bit because this is what's spoken to me this week. There are times that I look at all that is ahead of us, and, and I want to tell you, it overwhelms me. I cried out to God a couple weeks ago, and I said, God, I've got so much on my shoulders. He said, well, get it off your shoulders and put it on mine, because mine are bigger. And I began thinking about little David when he looked at the giant. He didn't say, giant, I'm bigger than you. He said, giant, my God's bigger than you. Whatever it is that is causing us to have this spirit of doubt and a, and, and a fear and of discouragement, know that coming from the enemy himself. He wants to create doubt within us. He wants to create discouragement within us. Listen, I'm 42 years old, and a couple of weeks ago, it just, man, it was getting to me, and um, and I know that's not old, but man, there, you know, you just start hurting, and you do things, and you think you can do like you always did. I'm a pretty pink socks you got on, but, um, and you think you can just do right like you always did, but then you do, and the next morning, you wish you wouldn't alter. I mean, you know what I mean? I take my kids out, and we're going to play a sport, and well, I'm going to win. I mean, I'm going to win. I don't care what it takes. I don't care if we got to get the ambulance, take me back to the house. I'm going to win. And so I go at it with everything I got. And the next morning, I realize that I really didn't win at all. I don't care what the score said, you know. And so, so anyway, so I'm, I'm thinking about it. And I'm saying, Lord, and I use this statement. I said, Lord, I've been at Dublin from age 26 to 42. And I said, in fact, I said it in, in a, out loud in a meeting. I said, you know, my most productive years are probably behind me. And I felt very justified in saying that. I mean, does that not, I mean, you know, if I was an NBA player at 42, you know, if I was a major league baseball player, unless it was a knuckleball throw, I'd be done. If I was a NASCAR driver, I'd be an announcer, y'all. And so I'm thinking of things in those terms and I'm in a meeting and I share this and I say, you know, I look back and I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have been stronger and I wish I would have been more passionate. I wish I'd have preached harder and, and, and served more and done and done and done. And I'm just laying it all out there. I said, you know, my most productive years are behind me. And a pastor spoke up and he said, Cameron, what do you base that on? I said, well, 42, I, I hurt when I wake up in the morning. I, you know, things don't, my, my mind doesn't work as fast. I, I'm really slowing down in my preaching, all these kind of things, you know. And he said, let me tell you something. He said, I didn't even get started good till I was 55. He's 85 now, by the way. Still preaching, pastoring, he's doing a great job. He, and, and another pastor stepped up and he said, absolutely. He said, my most fruitful years of ministry have been after 55. And one by one by one, they started telling me that. Man, I got excited and I thought I hadn't even come into my yet you know and there was kind of a shot in the arm what I needed right then listen friend you might be sitting there and thinking well you know I, I'm, I'm not as good as I once was but praise God he is I mean he isn't getting weak in his old age I'm thankful for that so we aspire for even greater things no matter our age no matter our status in life no matter listen brother Tommy this I want to tell you you blessed my heart last Sunday and I'm grateful for that a man that had to be wheeled over to the you know to, 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 to the altar here that was a blessing and, and you touched hearts all week long I heard that Man, Tommy's testimony really encouraged me. It really spoke to me. And I'm grateful for that. You know, I, I want to I think that one of these days, if i got to preach behind a walker instead of a lectern, I'll still be preaching, y'all. Don't let the enemy create a doubter within you. In fact, when the enemy begins telling you about all the reasons to doubt and all the reasons to be discouraged, you just rebuke him in the name of Jesus. Because he is nothing but a defeated foe. Listen, the Bible says in John 10, 10, but he has come that we might have life and more abundant life. 
That's greater things. But the thief has come to rob and to steal and to destroy. He wants to take greater things out of our vision. He wants to take greater things out of our dreams and greater things out of the future, not only of our life, but of our church. Right now, I'm going to tell you, we've got a lot of needs at both campuses. And, and, in, and in the big picture, we don't have a whole lot of money. We've got some, praise God for that. But we don't have near the money we need for all that we need. We don't have all of the land that we need necessarily, strategically speaking, to do what we need. And we don't have, you know, a community that's growing by leaps and bounds. One of my best friends, pastors, Apex Baptist Church. People are moving there by the thousands every month. I want to tell you, if you didn't grow a church in that climate, there'd be something wrong with you. The fact of the matter is people aren't moving here in droves and and businesses aren't moving here in droves. And there's a lot of things that would create within us a spirit of doubt or or a fear or discouragement. And let me say to you, I believe we ought to be wise and we ought to look at all of the things that are going on and make wise decisions based on that. But remember, in spite of whatever we might be facing, there's never a reason for doubt, never a reason for discouragement because we have that guarantee of greater things. Number two, the doubters. We fit into that category many times, no doubt. And the third group of people that are seated around this table are the deserters. The deserters. Now think about this. For every person that Jesus would bow down and wash their feet, performing that lowly task as the, as the lowliest of servants, he realized that those feet that he was then washing would soon be running in the other direction. Don't you know that was hard? For every single person, when he would bow and wash their feet, this one will run from me. This one will deny me three times. This one will betray me and sell me for a few pieces of silver. Wow. Yet those were the men that he spoke to. Yet those were the ones that he promised they would accomplish greater things. It wasn't because of them in many cases, but in spite of them. May I say to you, there are times that we will be tempted to desert. to say, And and, and let me just put it right on me very quickly. There are times as your pastor that I think about the future and I think about where we are and I think about what's on our plate right now. And I think, you know, we ought to just learn to be satisfied. And don't amen that, please, because it'll scare me. But we ought to just quit trying to push forward. We ought to quit trying to do more. We ought to just try to figure out how to handle better what we've got. And that is a temptation. Is a very much a temptation. Let's don't expand our ministries, don't expand our facilities, don't expand our congregation, don't expand our vision because with that will come more responsibility. That is me wanting to be a deserter, me wanting to cop out or to sell out or say, God, I can't handle anymore. But the fact of the matter is, God never, ever, ever will use us when we're running in the wrong direction. It's not till we turn and say, God, I surrender it all to you. I surrendered all to you. You said, now wait a minute, preacher, these deserters, how did God manage to use them? When the day of Pentecost was fully come, the Holy Spirit came. Listen, Peter who would deny Jesus three times would become the greatest preacher of that generation. And those that would run and be nowhere to be found would soon be crucified and be martyred themselves because they were so willing to stand for what they believed. The Holy Spirit of God makes all the difference. If there's any prayer that I pray every day for the congregants of our church congregations, it is God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, uh, so, you know, so infill us daily and so uh, just spill out on us every day that we might know what your will is and encourage us and give us a zeal and an enthusiasm 
never to run away, but always to run in. I'm thankful for firefighters. There are many that are in our congregation. And um, the old saying is about a firefighter, he runs in when everybody else runs out. Listen, God's looking for some people, some men and women, some teenagers who are willing to run in today in the 21st century when so many Christians are running out and deserting. Number three, and I'm done. We see the promise of greater things. It's a guarantee. We see the people of greater things. Unlikely people just like us. Unlikely churches just like us. But then number three, the preparation for greater things. Okay, preacher, you've got us primed. You've primed the pump. We're excited. We want to see greater things. And and my prayer is that that's the case, y'all. My prayer is that's not a minority, but that's the majority. So what must we do? Verses 13 and 14. Very key verses and very, at times, um, controversial verses. Look with me. And Jesus says, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Listen, how important is it to look at Scripture in the proper context? If you take these two verses, verses 13 and 14, you kind of peel them out, you'd say, Woohoo! There's the magic potion to get everything I want. You know? I want a new Harley Davidson. All I got to do is ask it and claim it, and it'll be mine. I want a, I want a you know, three story house, two car garage. All I got to do is believe it and claim it and ask for it and poof, it'll be mine. I want a full head of hair when I wake up in the morning. All I got to do is ask it and believe it and poof, it'll be mine. But see, you've got to remember it connects back to verse 12, which is the greater things. Jesus says you're going to accomplish greater things. And by the way, if you want greater things, ask and believe and God will accomplish greater things. But it begins with us praying, saying, God, that's really what we want. By the way, when we step out in faith and we say, God, that's really what we want, we better be ready. We better be ready because that's when the enemy's going to turn and throw everything at us. I've experienced more spiritual attack, just the enemy and me, since November than I've ever experienced in my life. When I stepped into a role that I honestly didn't ask for, and I'm so thankful that God blessed me with it, but I had no idea. In fact, I'm praying about whether or not to run for the second term. It's almost kind of expected or, or, you know, it's just the norm, but... There's part of me that says, I told Tiffany, I said, I really don't want to run again. And it's not based on the scheduling because that will pass and one day I'll look back and be grateful for the opportunities. It's not based on the scheduling. It's not based on the added stress. It is based purely on the spiritual attack. Because I know that if I were to make the decision and announce to our, to our convention and say, I'm not running for a second term, somebody else needs to step up and run for president, all those kind of things, that at that moment there would be a level of pressure relieved. There would be a level of attack that would be taken off. And in essence, I would be giving in to those attacks. If you join me today and say, I personally want to see greater things in my life and in the life of my church, I just want to tell you, there's going to be a bigger target on you. The attacks are going to become more fierce. If you don't believe me, look at the men that were gathered around this table when they did step up in the power of the Holy Spirit and what they would face day in and day out. But friend, may I say to you, it's worth it all. It is worth it all. Number one, to prepare for greater things, we need to pray. I don't mean a sentence prayer. I mean passionate, fervent, righteous people praying. Begging God. Listen, praying for your church 
praying for your life and for greater things to be accomplished the same way you would if on Friday you had been diagnosed with a terminal disease. Praying as though not only your future, but all of eternity depends upon it. Get this, y'all. Please don't cut me off quite yet. Us as a church determining to do greater things. Us as individual believers determining to do greater things literally will make the difference in heaven and hell for many, many people. I think back to three and a half years ago or so. I've never been so nervous in all of my ministry. I stood in our Family Life Center and I'd been sharing for a number of months something big. It was clouded in mystery and prayer, but mystery. And I remember at the end of the service asking everyone to sit. And some folks expected me to unveil the picture of our new sanctuary that would seat a thousand people or whatever. Some people expected maybe I'd denounce that I was leaving. Y'all going to get you a good preacher. Um, Whatever it was. But everybody is anticipating different things. Our deacons and leadership have been so faithful to kind of keep it under wraps and And I remember standing there, and I walked up to the podium, and I turned the microphone on, and I said to myself, well, here goes. And I remember feeling like I just sat down in the world's biggest roller coaster, and they had just clamped that bar across my lap, and it had begun to move, and I heard clank, 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 and I knew it was too too far to turn back now. Too late to turn around now. And I began sharing the vision of moving into a multi-site mentality and going and planting a second church and and people kind of scratching their head and thinking, well, that wasn't at all what I was expecting. And and me holding my breath and for the next week praying and praying, God, put this burden on the heart of our people. And overwhelmingly you uh, approved that and voted to move in that direction. And that, and that, that birthing of that second campus has literally meant salvation to scores of people. I spent my... 18-minute journey from the lake to Dublin this morning on the phone uh, with a wife telling me how much she appreciates the ministry uh, of our lake campus. Another mother that sent me an email that I checked as I was walking in about her daughter who had been on drugs and because she's been coming to the lake church has been dry now and sober for months. I mean, story after story, and I'm thinking, why? Because prayer and because the faithfulness of God's people following where God led. And you see, we look back and we say, look at those great things God has done. And, and here at this campus and there and, and in our missions partnerships and in the lives of our individuals and, and through these young people and what God's doing in our youth program and our children's program. We say, wow, God's been so good. Friend, I've got news. You ain't seen nothing yet. If you'll simply look forward and trust God that even greater things are yet to come. There's prayer. Number two. Number two. And by the way, I can't do it all by myself. I don't, I don't know where that came from. That didn't that just kind of come out. But I hope everybody does understand that, you know. I got a lot of energy, but I ain't got that much energy, all right? Number two, there's a pursuit. There's a pursuit. Imagine if you want to learn to play one of these instruments fluently. You can pray and pray and pray and pray, and God will honor those prayers once you begin pursuing it. If you want to become a star athlete, you know, You can pray for all the talent in the world and pray for all the strength in the world and all of that. But until you start pursuing that, don't expect to become a great athlete. There is always a measure of pursuit that is expected. God will bless us and God will be with us as we achieve greater things. But there is a calling out today. Will you pursue me? Will you truly desire great things? 
Sometimes I have couples come and I'm counseling them and they're going through something and, and I'll say, you can be as close as you want to be, but you've got to desire that and pursue that and have a, a heart and a mind that is absolutely committed to this thing of restoration and reconciliation. How much are we willing to pursue the greater things that God has for us? I'm not just talking about as a church. But maybe you're like me and you looked and you say, you know what, my most productive years are behind me. Maybe not. Maybe now that you're retired, the greatest years are before you. Maybe you look and you say, you know what, I've got all this baggage now. The Bible says to lay aside the baggage so that you may run with, race, run with patience the race that is set before you. He'll take that baggage. All of the things, don't let anything limit you from pursuing greater things. And then thirdly, passion. Passion. What are we passionate about? You know, I'm thankful for, for passion in so many ways. I, this morning, people were coming in and talking about the, the basketball game. I understand Carolina won. Is that right? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure all of heaven stood still for that last night. <laughs> but we get passionate about all kinds of things. Hastings called last night and told us Carolina had lost. And he was all upset. He was so distraught because he now lives in South Carolina and Carolina lost. Peggy's agreeing with me, you know, because that's Carolina. When you cross, when you get to south of the border, Pedro welcomes you, Carolina, you know. But we get excited and, we, and there's nothing wrong with that. I was in a meeting and they asked everybody to share what your favorite uh, sports teams were. And I just said, well, the sports teams my kids are playing on at any given time. That's my favorite, you know. But all the things we're passionate about, but are we truly passionate? Listen, not just about our church and not just about our relationship with Jesus. But I mean passionate about greater things. I believe God's just getting started at both campuses. And let me tell you, it is, it is an interesting um, paradox uh, or conundrum, depending on your perspective. But it's a good thing. I'm blessed in that I've got two congregations of folks that I get to shepherd and I get to lead. And, and it's still evolving and, and, and it's still complicated and complex. Here, we, we need a larger facility. More parking and things of that nature. There we need a more uh, diverse ministry other than just a Sunday morning ministry. And, and I believe in both cases, God's given me a passion and given me a, a vision. Um, I might not ought to tell this, but I will. It, it just hopefully it'll make it make sense. I was watching Forensic Files a while back. Love that show. And, and, and there was a gentleman, he was in the military. That's really unimportant, but he was. And um, I mean, not that he, being in the military wasn't important. It just doesn't have anything to do with the storyline, okay? I can hear it now. Somebody will blog about me or something or, or tweet or Snapchat or what's that other thing? Facebook. Yeah. You know that Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook merged. They call it U-Twit-Face. But anyway, um, back to my story. This guy, he had two lives. He had, he had two wives. He had like eight kids. He'd go to this home, and then he'd tell them, well, I've got, I've got called to duty, so I've got, I've got you know, to go off for the weekend. So he'd go, and he'd spend that with this family, and then he'd leave, and he'd go back to this family. That poor dude, I mean, he, just had, he was just messed up, y'all. And, uh, and, and sometimes I think, you know, trying to pastor too, sometimes it's like trying to juggle two families, and sometimes it gets overwhelming, and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, give me the energy here and give me the energy there, and God help me to make sure I'm keeping up with who's in need over here and who's in need over there and, and all of these things. But the fact of the matter is, what a blessing. Most pastors only get a single scoop, but I get a double scoop, and I'm grateful for that. And friend, God needs us to, to, to commit ourselves this morning, not just to pray and not just to pursue, but to be passionate, to be passionate in those pursuits. What's God going to use you to do? What's the next decade going to look like in your life? What's it going to look like? 
Is it going to be moving backwards? Or is it going to be moving forward? Because I promise you, serve the Lord is always an uphill climb. And if you ever just try to stay still, you will roll backwards. Greater things. I love that song we sang. My God's not dead. He's surely alive, living on the inside, roaring like a lion. Close with this. Matthew 13. We find one place, one place where Jesus was absolutely ineffective. He went there. In fact, he was born and raised. He was not born there. He was raised there. He was known there. It was his hometown. It was called Nazareth. And the Bible says that no mighty works were accomplished there. That is absolutely heartbreaking. And I think about Nazareth, and that being the sad commentary of so many churches and so many believers in so many communities today. No mighty works were accomplished there. And then there's a little phrase. Because of their unbelief. Some translations say because of their lack of faith. That is the only thing, the only thing that is keeping anybody from seeing greater things. Only thing keeping churches from accomplishing greater things. Lack of faith, unbelief. How about it, y'all? How about it? I want to be able to look at my wife and say, baby, the greatest days of our marriage are still ahead. I want to be able to look at my kids as they're growing up and moving out and got different addresses for me, one of them now. It's hard to imagine. Youngin, our greatest days are still ahead. I want to be able to look in the mirror every morning into an old man's face with deep bags under his eyes a lot of days and discouragement in his eyes. Because the fact of the matter is, for every one person that says, I believe in you, nine will say, I don't. Either by their words or by their lack of action. To look in the mirror and say, my future is not based on me. My future is not based on them. My future is based on Him. Greater things. Father, I thank You for the precious Word of God. Father, there's nothing that I could stand and proclaim this morning that would be of any eternal good or benefit or influence on these people except for Holy Spirit-led and Holy Spirit-interpreted Word of Almighty God. I thank You that this promise is perpetual. There's no expiration date. Lord, I thank you that it has not in any way weakened or become less effective. God, forgive us for at times lacking the faith that we need. Lord God, I pray that in the days ahead you would allow us to move carefully, cautiously, but absolutely courageously. Lord, that we would use the wisdom of God, the discernment of God... And then trust for the provision of God. We do not know. Lord step by step what our future holds. But I thank you that in your omniscience you know. In your omnipotence you will bring it to be. And in your omnipresence you will be with us through the process. Lord may you take the words of this message. And Lord truly touch the hearts of each person here. As you've so impacted my heart this week through study. I love you. I thank you for blessing me beyond my imagination, beyond anything that I ever thought of or desired, just like you said you would. Thank you for the exceedingly abundant greater things 
that still lie ahead. In Jesus' sweet name, amen.